I wonder if you've ever had this happen. I think it happens to the uh, best of us. Have you ever uh, been at the grocery store, you load all the groceries, and you get home, you start unloading, and you do that thing where you get the bags um, in the kitchen. Uh, for us, it's, we got this little island in the kitchen. We usually set all the grocery bags and all the sacks there on the island. We start unloading it. Have you ever done this thing where you're unloading, you make you know, a couple trips, and you're like, oh, yeah, i got to get that frozen thing in the freezer. i got to get that cold stuff in the fridge. And, and so you start doing that, and then you, you realize that you forgot a bag of groceries. And they, have you ever done that? Yeah. Somebody said, ooh, that's kind of, that's kind of what's happened. Uh, Amy and I have actually had that uh, happen before um, at least once that I can recall and probably several times through the years. But um, the best time of year to let that happen is about, is probably about now um, in the middle of winter. It is not good in the summer. Okay. I mean, if you want curded milk and, you know, some of that stuff, then you can do that. But, but it, it's one of those things that it's one of those things that we all do it sometimes, right? Is we, we just forget. We forget that bag of groceries. You know, someone's thinking they're being helpful. They, you know, shut that trunk and you don't think about it. And I don't know if you all have ever had this happen, but maybe it's been in there for days. And then you realize we bought cottage cheese. Where's, where's the, wait, we bought milk and cottage cheese and a bunch of dairy stuff and you know or maybe you even had it happen because I've heard about this happening is as you left it in the car so long that it begin becomes a science experiment you know and you start to smell the science experiment you get in the car and you thought it was that dirty diaper that maybe you know rolled out of the bad diaper bag and you realize oh that's not what it is and, but we have this thing happening and sometimes we forget sometimes we forget this series that we're beginning today is called amnesia I forgot who I am but I need to begin by telling you that this isn't something like forgetting a bag of groceries in your car in the summer heat. In fact, if you study amnesia, study the definition of amnesia, you realize right away that amnesia is very, very serious. Because when you actually have true amnesia, it's not you forgot something, it's you forgot who you are. Like you don't even know who you are anymore. Like, like you don't remember your name. You don't remember who your parents are. You don't remember who your spouse is. You don't remember going to work, not going to work. You don't remember going to college, going to high school. You don't remember who your friends are. People that have true amnesia, many times, they literally come to a state where they wake up and they have no idea where they are, how they got there, who they are. They don't recognize faces. They don't recognize people. It's just like... Someone's hit the reset button, they've started all over, and it's just erased everything that they've known to this point in their life. Now, you think about that for a moment, and you can say, that is quite scary. That is frightening. And it's happened to lots of people. Uh, I, I was looking online at this, and, and I did not know this, but it had, actually had happened uh, back in the 1920s to a person named Agatha Christie. Does that ring a bell for anyone? You read any of her books? A famous author that wrote so many of those uh, mystery books and, and murder and detective books. Agatha Christie actually went through a time period where she had complete amnesia. She didn't know she was Agatha Christie. They found her two mi 200 miles away from her home. She had no idea how she got there, who she was. Her husband at the time came to, to pick her up. She had no idea who he was, didn't remember his name, didn't recognize his face, didn't recognize anyone, anywhere, anything, all of a sudden. 
And people, you hear that, and you're kind of like, wow, medically, it's like, how does this happen? And, and there's, there's several things that can happen. A lot of times, uh, people will say, well, it's like trauma. Sometimes it can actually be a physical trauma, like a blunt force uh, a strike to the head or the neck area. Sometimes it's something that happens just internally with your health and your body. Sometimes amnesia, just they, they really don't know why it just happens. Sometimes people have been through a dramatic, a very traumatic or dramatic experience and they've suffered something and the stress levels and the hormone levels are so, are so high that it actually causes them to go into it. But it doesn't really matter of how people got there. It's a scary thing. And what I was thinking about when I was preparing this series was, I think there's a bunch of Christians today that like have amnesia, that forget what, it's, what it means to be a Christian. They forget not only what it means to be a Christian, but they forget who they are in Christ Jesus. We, we, we forget who we are. And we, we try to uh, do this version of Christianity that looks somewhat like people of the world. When we know that the scripture calls us to be distinctively different. Sometimes I think Christians get there the same way that you could get real amnesia in life. That you've been through a traumatic experience and it just causes you to lose your identity in Christ and forget who you are in Jesus Christ. I think sometimes it's, it's something physically that you've been suffering and it just it's so hard to get through that you begin to forget who you are in Christ Jesus. Or maybe you've just gone through this phase in life where it's just things are so hard and they're so traumatic. Or maybe you just simply woke up one day and walked seemingly away from your faith. We're going to be talking about this uh, for the next several weeks, this idea of amnesia. If you want to follow along with the, with the uh, text and, and all the notes, we invite you to do that. You can, you can follow along in a Bible as we look at all the scriptures today, but you're also welcome to follow along in the Oakwood app. Um, if, you, if you download the Oakwood app, just search Oakwood Enid in your app store. Um, open up the Oakwood app and go to Sermon Notes, and all the notes and all the scriptures are there for you. There's even a way in the app for you to take notes and save your notes there, so... We invite you to just engage the word of God this morning. That's the most important thing. This verse is going to be our guiding verse through this series. And it's found in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It's a book that was written by the Apostle Paul who wrote uh, much of the New Testament and, and the epistles. And this is what Galatians 2.20 says. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, this problem of remembering, as I, as I began to think about this, I thought, how far back could you go in Scripture and say some Bible character, some person forgot who they are? And I want to take you all the way back to the beginning, the book called Beginnings, the book of Genesis. And I want to remind you of what's happened, and then I want to read you the first case of, of I believe, amnesia in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, God has been creating the heavens and the earth and the animals and, and, and the sea life and the bird. I mean, he's been creating for several days, and it's good, and it's good, and it's good. We get to verses 26 and 27, it says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, 
so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God has given this creation. He's about to create dominion over the whole earth. And then it says, <clears throat> so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them. Male and female, he created them. So humans, you and I, mankind was created in the image of God, which means we are what? We are God's image bearers. We talked about this in a series this fall, of how, how when we are, are created, we are created in the likeness of God. We are his image bearers. And so you say, well, that's, that's great. I mean, how can you get this wrong, right? I mean, made in the image of God, we know that we are his image bearers. But then we get over to Genesis chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. And it says this as the rest of the story in Genesis goes on. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Do you, do you remember this? That God gave Adam and Eve one rule, one guideline. You can have all the fruit of all the trees. You can have any, any, anything you want in this garden. But there's this one special tree in the middle of the garden. Do not eat its fruit. If you eat its fruit, bad things are going to happen. You're, you're going to die. Let's continue on. Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. And look what the serpent says in verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. Knowing good and evil. Pause there for a second. Weren't they already created like God in his image? And don't you think by God being a creative God and, and he's a God of order and structure. I mean, he's, named, he's had them name the animals and he's created on certain days and he's had a, had a day of rest. And I mean, God's a God of order and structure and he, he gives him this role. And so you're telling me that, that maybe God was, you know, not telling you the whole story or God wasn't ordered and structured enough that, or maybe it's just this temptation that you being the image of God, the image bearers of God is not quite enough. We get to verse six. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And at that point, if you follow through the rest of Genesis, you see the fall of man. And you see that when sin entered the world, when you broke God's law, that death then entered the world. And it seems we've been in this death spiral ever since. As it seems like every human created in God's image and in his likeness is not able to fully comprehend that, is not able to fully live that out without God himself providing the power to do so. 
without God himself being personally involved in every image bearer's life to walk and live this out. And to me, you go all the way back here to Genesis 3, and it seems like they have already forgotten who they are. You are God's creation, created in the image of God. And Satan tried to turn it into lie and to deceive. And they bought the lie. And so many of us still do that today. Listen to what Jesus said of this serpent, the devil, the liar, in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus says this. And just a little context here. He's talking to a group of Jews who who have not accepted him as the Son of God, who don't believe that he's the Messiah. Jesus has given them lots of proof by this point in John chapter 8. And they are not accepting Jesus as the Son of God, as the Messiah. They are not walking in the ways of the Lord. They're turning to their sinful ways. And this is what he says. You belong to your father, the devil. Ouch. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. You see, the devil lies, the devil lies and he deceives and he leads people away from God. <clears throat> and I think his ultimate goal is to get God's people to forget who they are in Christ Jesus. And that's what this series is about for us, folks. To remind us of who we are as Christians. Who we are as disciples. Fully devoted, lifelong followers of the way, the truth, and the life. To remind us of the characteristics that we have because of our relationship with God. And that maybe all of us would take steps toward living out who we are in Christ Jesus in our lives. Let me remind you of who you are today. And I'm going to begin this week and today with this. Is that you, as an image bearer of God, are strong because of God's strength. Now how this manifests itself is probably not how you think. So listen as I try to do do the best job I can explaining to you. You see, today's culture lies to us, and these lies are from the devil himself. And the culture says that you have to do better, perform, be better, get better, work harder, strive, 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 go, 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 go. And and that, that weakness... Maybe sometimes in scripture we could read, read even sometimes that true weakness is almost like meekness sometimes. That sometimes being weak is a good quality to have, especially when you're a Christian. But that goes against the culture. The culture says climb that corporate ladder and step on whoever you need to step on on the way up. And you do better and you work harder and you go stronger. And if you feel weak at any point in time, the culture yells at you and says you got to pick yourself up. You, you got to try hard. you got to fix this. You've got to do better. You've got to become stronger. Don't be weak. Be stronger. And the culture yells at people and says, hey, you have got to fix all of your problems yourself. They're your problems. Now, do you see a problem with this thinking already? There's an absence of God in all of it. There's an absence of an acknowledgement of I need 
help. No, you don't. No, you don't. God blesses those who help themselves, right? You need to help yourself. You need to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. And you need to be a self-made person. And, and all that you need in life is you. You have the power within yourself to do whatever you want to do, to be whatever you want to be. And we have this dependency that's built up in us through our sinful nature to be dependent on ourselves. And for some of you that maybe are like already like, okay, yeah, I can kind of see that myself. Can I just ask you, how's that working for you? Life good? Life great? You're like, oh yeah, man, solid. But that's exactly what the deceiver, the devil, wants to do. He wants us to buy into this, you better get better on your own strength. You need to try harder. You need to grow. You need to become stronger. And you do it all on your own strength, all on your own power. But I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I feel frustrated, I feel worn out, and I feel like I, I have this whole list of things to get done, and there's no way I can do it. And I try to get better, and I try to get stronger, and I try to build myself up. But it seems like there's this endless cycle of me trying to fix me. For me to try to depend on my own strength to accomplish all that is in my life that I feel that is set before me to accomplish. And you see, there, I, I think there's this duplicity to this. That sometimes we get so caught up in doing, we forget who we are. Amnesia sets in. We forget who we are. We, we get so busy doing things that we forget being a child of God, being in the presence of God, being one who depends on God's power and on God's strength. We try to do it all on our own. So let's just confess this morning and begin the first point of the outline here. Many of us live life on our terms, out of our own strength. We don't tap into the power of Almighty God. I think so many Christians have amnesia when it comes to this area of their life. This was written about hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, about 740 years. In the book of Isaiah chapter 40, verses 30 and 31, the prophet Isaiah puts it this way. He says, even youths grow what? Grow, what does it say there? Tired and weary. Even who? Youths. And what kind of men? Young men, young men do what? They stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will what? They will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I love the illustration of, of an eagle here because you think of, of how birds work. I mean, here in Oklahoma, we, we have some eagles, but not as many as they have in other parts of the country. But we have other birds and, and, and fowl here, correct? All, all kinds of different types, but all of those seem to work really hard. I was thinking about a hummingbird. I know that that's a thing here that several people have hummingbird feeders. You watch this little hummingbird come up. That bird is I mean, just those wings are flying. You can barely see them. They're just flutter nonstop. And you, have you ever seen a hummingbird soar, catch some Oklahoma breeze? I, I've seen one actually fly out from around a house and get blown like 20 feet uh, to the side by an Oklahoma gust. But I've never seen you like a hummingbird soar. 
There's something different about like a hummingbird or just, just a, a regular bird. Maybe it's a, a blue jay or, or a cardinal or a sparrow. Man, it, those birds, you know, they, they flap their wings. They have to fly from place to place. And they're always flapping. Their wings are always working. But have you ever seen an eagle get up a few hundred feet off the ground and just spread its wings and just say, I'm just going to use the air. Windy, not windy. How do they do that? They just soar. They just spread them out like it's with ease. No need to flap. No need to try to do everything on my own strength. I'm just going to use this. It's such a beautiful image of how we are to function in God's strength and in God's power. And the prophet Isaiah, way back here in the Old Testament, he's saying that, hey, young men even struggle with being tired and getting worn down and stumbling and falling. But those that will depend on the Lord, those will put their hope in the Lord and in his strength, when they... They're going to soar in life like the eagles. They get above the circumstances, and they just soar. I think that's why sometimes we feel so tired and worn out is because we are pursuing things in our own power, flapping and trying to flail as much as we can, and not depending on his strength and on his power. The Apostle Paul can, can uh, comment on this too, and, and he does in 2 Corinthians our main text today is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 8 through 10. If you want to turn there, if you're following along in your Bible, if, you, if, if you're in the app, it'll be there for you. But the Apostle Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians. He, and just to set it up to what, what he's responding to here in verse 8, is he has identified that he has had this thorn in the flesh. Okay, many scholars debate on what is this thorn in the flesh that Paul has? What, what does this mean exactly? And um, it was this a physical ailment? Some scholars believe that uh, Paul always had a sight problem. It's evidenced in some of his writing that he said, I write in large letters. And you're like, why do you write in large letters? Was it his Damascus experience, right? On the, on, remember his conversion experience on the road to Damascus that he was blinded for three days as Jesus appeared to him? I mean, is that what the thorn in the flesh is? Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's some other physical thing. Maybe he's got a sciatic nerve and it's hurting his hip and he's just barely getting along. You know, maybe it's stomach problems that he's having. Maybe it's some intestinal thing. Maybe, I mean, it could be a hundred different things. Maybe some relationship in his life that's just really hard. I mean, we read some of that relational stuff from the Apostle Paul. We don't know exactly what this thorn in the flesh is, but we know it afflicted him. How many of you have ever been cut by a rose bush? Anyone? I've got these coral drift roses in front of my house, and I love those things. They're so beautiful. When you fertilize those and they get the sunshine in the summer, they do about six to seven sets of blooms, and coral drift roses are just some of the most beautiful roses. But you got to prune those things. When you prune those things, those things are pokey, and they remind you that every rose has its thorn, right? I mean, it'll cut your hands up. And so I have these gloves that I put on, and I, like, grab, you know, the branches and stuff. But even sometimes those gloves will get, like, a hole in them or a cut in them. That thorn. Okay, remember, ouch, it hurts, there's this thorn. Now let's read what the Apostle Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 8. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. He's talking about that thorn in his flesh, whatever his suffering is. Three times, Lord, get me out of this situation. Help this physical pain, this emotional pain, this psychological pain. Help take this away from me. In verse 9, but he said to me, the Lord said to the Apostle Paul, listen to this, my grace is sufficient for you. 
For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, Paul says, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I actually delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties in life. Does anyone in here, can anybody in here relate that? Anyone in here have weaknesses? Anybody in here have somebody insult you? Anybody in here ever go through some hardships? What about some persecutions? What about just difficulties in life? Can anyone in here relate to any of this? And he says, for, he ends it with this. He says, for when I am weak in all of these things, then I am strong. When you're weak, you're strong. How does that work in the human flesh? We need to understand that God's grace is enough. It's sufficient for us in everything. God's grace is enough. You, you've probably heard that before if you've been around the church for any period of time. Sufficient grace. I, I, I love the, the old acronym for grace, G-R-A-C-E, grace. What does it mean? God's riches at Christ's expense. That through the blood of Jesus and through the power of the resurrection, we have everything that we need for life and godliness, the scripture tells us, through Christ Jesus, through his sacrifice and through his resurrection. Grace. Grace is sufficient. It is bigger than your biggest sin. It is bigger than your biggest, than your biggest problem. It's bigger than your biggest issue. God's grace is sufficient. It is enough. We used to sing that song in church. You remember that song from about 20, 25 years ago? Your grace is enough. I think it was an old Tomlin song. Your grace is enough. It's sufficient for all that I need in life. That becomes a part of who we are as Christians. We have a dependency on God himself. He's the provider. He's the one that gives us grace. The next thing that we need to understand is God's power is made perfect in my weakness. Now this is hard. When the, world, when the world screams at you all of these things about pick up yourself and, and do things on your own. I mean, but let's get real. We are finite as humans. And sometimes I think we all go through things that will get us down and that will make us weak. That maybe put us through a good season of suffering. Now since we're church family here this morning, can I just be real for you for a minute? And just use myself maybe as an illustration just for a minute, if that's possible. Because there are times where I feel weak, and it's because of the pressure and the intensity of everything flying at me in my life. And one of the things I'm figuring out as I grow up and mature even more in Christ Jesus is I need to quit trying to do it all on my own strength. That I need to buy in and live out and understand who I am in Christ Jesus and that it's okay if I am weak. It is hard for me sometimes to describe the intensity and the pressure that I feel as just a dad and things that I want to do with my family, with my, with my girls. 
the pressure to lead a church family and to feel this heavy load of responsibility that when someone strays or someone goes off or someone is suffering, that, that I need to be there for them. Sometimes it really wears on me to preach and to teach as much as I do. I was listening to somebody this week that was saying that preaching was one of the only jobs that you have to prepare this speech, a 40-minute speech every week, and that you have to do it every seven days for the rest of your life. And I was like, oh, yeah, I could kind of relate to that. And not only does that have to be good, it has to be good enough to keep people awake and engaged or you won't have anyone to listen to your, to, your, to your preaching or to your speech anymore. And, and it'd be great if it had some really life application. It'd be good if you told some good stories and had some good illustrations. And it'd be good if you, if you do it well enough that people might actually want to share it with someone else. Remember to keep the gospel central. Remember to keep the invitation to come to Christ central and all of it. But you also need to apply it for those people who have been Christians for like 50 years. No pressure felt there. Or how about leading a staff? Some of you are business owners. You know what it's like to lead a staff. I have an awesome staff. My staff is probably really relatively easy to lead. But you still feel that pressure. And then you need to be a part of the community. And you need to do, be, rally around community events and, and be out there and be out there in meetings and, and want to be involved and want to serve in the community. And I'll be honest with you, it's worn me out physically, mentally, emotionally, I've gone through a season of exhaustion. I go to doctors for some physical problems I'm having now, and they're like, uh, first thing they say, every, every doctor, there's been three different ones that have said, um, I feel that you are stressed out. Like you've got too much going on. You need to eliminate stress in your life. Okay, how do I do that? And I'm consumed with guilt sometimes, if I'm being 100% honest, guilt about why I can't be a better dad, why I can't be a better husband to my wife, Amy, because she deserves so much better than what I can give her. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better preacher. I want to be a better teacher. I want to be a better pastor. I want to be a better friend. I want to be a better human sometimes. And it's a lot when you feel inadequate all the time. And I keep thinking, if I just try harder, study more, read more, pray more, if I just, if I just get myself better, if I just get a little stronger, if I'll just output a little bit more, and that's where the devil's lies, I feel like, kind of creep into me. Because the truth is, I have to embrace my weaknesses as a human, and that I'll never get it all done, and that I'll never be good enough in everything. Because it puts me back to the place in my relationship with Jesus Christ where I realize I have to depend on Jesus for everything. And when I am weak, he is strong. And actually, when I don't perform to the level that I think I should, that God works into those places. I can't tell you how many times I've prepared a sermon and been so excited to share it and thought, this is the one, man. Ten people are going to give their lives to Christ today. Or baptistry is going to be busy for the next two weeks. And, you know, I'm excited to preach. I'm like, man, that's just clicking. God's going to use this. I come and preach, and I feel like everybody's like, what was that? And then I come in with a sermon that I don't feel strong about at all, and I've just been on my knees. Lord, redeem this message, please. Use it in some way. I don't feel good about it. I don't feel strong about it. And that's the one where 15 people in the lobby after church be like, that was a, man, changed my life. I'm like, Really? That one, you didn't hear the one like three weeks ago. That was the one I felt good about. I don't feel good about God is his strength and his glory is made perfect in our weakness. And then it goes on for Paul in verses 9 and 10 there. And what does he say there? He says, uh, in, in the second part of 9, he says, Therefore I will boast 
I'm going to brag and boast all the more gladly about what? My weaknesses. So that what? So Christ's power may rest on me. And look at verse 10. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses now. Huh. I'm like, yes, I'm not perfect, and I can't do it all. And in the insults and in the hardships and in the persecutions and in the difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. When you are weak, then you are strong. Why? Because you are close in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So close that God wants you and intends for you to have a dependency leaning on his power and his might. And I think sometimes we forget. And we have identity amnesia as Christians. We forget who we are in Christ Jesus. And we try to live up to everything that we have to do and have to be in the world when really we're called just to rest more in him. And I wonder how freeing that might be for some of you that can relate to me. That you feel pressure to get better and do more and accomplish more and get more done and, and you gotta get stronger and I gotta fix this and I gotta do that and I gotta be the best this and I gotta be the best boss and I gotta be the best dad and I gotta be the best this and the, the, all of that just builds up and you are stressed out. Like, like it builds up. It gets, the stress is real. But I wonder how freeing it might be if you and I could say, when I'm weak, then I am strong. Because in my weakness, when I get to the end of myself and I say, I can't do it anymore, God says, good, because I can. I sent Jesus, and his grace is sufficient for you. And his power to save and for you to be his image bearer is made perfect when you are weak. And his power makes the difference. And that's my prayer for you as we begin this series. As we start here by saying, you know what? When I am weak, I want to be strong. But the only way to do that is in Christ. By surrendering to him.